G'day, g'day, guys. Now, before we dive into today's show, I want to ask you a few quick questions. Are you looking to take your investing career to the next level? Are you wanting an accountability partner who will push you to achieve your goals? Are you needing to surround yourself with successful investors and entrepreneurs in order to up your game and take control of your life? Well, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, I am super pumped and excited to announce that I'm starting the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. This mastermind is a group of highly motivated, abundance-orientated, hand-selected hustlers and entrepreneurs who are ready to take that next step in their investing career. We are now taking applications for the next group of champions. If you're interested to find out more, then email me at info, that's I-N-F-O, at reedgoosens.com and put in the subject line, The Syndicator Incubator. Being a part of this mastermind group, you will have unlimited access to both myself and my business partner, Andrew Campbell, and you will understand how we have been able to build a portfolio of over 1,200 units worth over $120 million in under 24 months, and we've achieved financial freedom in the process. There are once a month mastermind calls with the group and a yearly conference where you will learn from the best in the business. So what are you waiting for? There are only limited spots, so get your application pack by emailing me at info at reedgoosens.com. And remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. What we look for, most of those types of markets are going to be tourism-driven markets, like there's going to be a national park that people are coming to or the beach. And most of the time, at least in the ones that I deal with, there are very often more short-term rental properties than there are people who live there, which means there's not a ton of jobs, not a ton of industry. Uh, everything runs on tourism. So you can look at the national park data, if it's a national park town, or like the Destin, Panama City area, they have, uh, most of those towns are going to have data that you can get from the Chamber of Commerce or the Department of Tourism showing how much to, how many tourists come in, uh, what what they make a year off tourism, things like that. So most of these places are going to be so dependent on tourism that they're going to have a lot of data for you to be able to look at. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this 
show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play. But you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Avery Carl, CEO and founder of The Short Term Shop. Avery purchased her first rental property at the age of just 26 on a $37,000 salary. Through strategically investing in short-term rental properties in mature vacation rental markets, she was a millionaire, not a millennial, a millionaire by the time she was 31. She now owns a portfolio of 24 properties and is the CEO and founder of The Short Term Shop, a real estate uh, team that helps investors acquire short-term rentals in the most recession-resistant markets, which is pretty coincidental that we are coming into a bit of a recession right now as a recording of this in early April. But I'm really pumped and excited to have her on the show today to share her incredible story and her insight. But enough out of me, let's get her out here. G'day, Avery. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, love the name, by the way, Avery. I've never, haven't, haven't ever met. I don't think I've met an Avery yet. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> awesome to have you on the show. Uh, I ask my guests, all my guests, when they come on the show, rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. So my first job did not come until college. I was um, really, really a really serious soccer player when I was in high school. So I spent all of my time playing soccer, playing club soccer, traveling for that, which didn't really allow for high school jobs. But my first job in college was a cocktail waitress. <laughs> and that's nice. how I made my first dollar. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Where'd you go to university? University of Texas. No. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, in Austin? Yeah. Yeah. I played soccer there. Nice, nice. Are you, that's where you're calling from today? I am in uh, Tennessee right now in the Gatlinburg area. Lovely, lovely. I've got some good friends up in Asheville, uh, North Carolina, which is in the near the, in the along the Smoky Mountain Ridge. We've been, uh, visited them a couple of times. It's very beautiful up there. Um, but tell me, walk me through your journey. You, I mentioned in the in the intro that you're 26 years of age when you've got your first rental property. How did real estate come about in your life? It was kind of by accident. So uh, my husband and I moved to Nashville from New York City, and uh, we were just tired of neighbors, tired of public transportation and just, you know, the whole New York City thing. It's fun for a while, but then it gets old. Uh, so we moved to Nashville from New York, uh, went to buy our first house, knew nothing about real estate. And our agent at the time was steering us towards the hip area of Nashville, which is East Nashville. She was saying there's a lot of appreciation going on there. You can sell your house in three years for $100,000 more than what you paid for it. We weren't really interested in it. We bought something out in the country. Coming from Brooklyn, we were sick of neighbors. So we bought out in the country. But then six months in, we were like, eh, you know, maybe there's something to that. Maybe we should buy a little rental house. And, you know, and when our future kids are grown, maybe it will have appreciated enough to pay for their college. That's kind of how it started. So uh, we bought one long term rental in the hip part of Nashville. And it's still actually our highest performing long term rental now. <laughs> uh, we knew nothing, total newbies. We're really lucky we didn't crash and burn. But uh, once we got that first rent check, we were like, oh, this is, this is something we should look into. So then we found the podcasts and the books and educated ourselves, you know, at the ones that everyone's read and listens to. And uh, we wanted to buy a second place and 
we thought, well, you know, Nashville had at that point very quickly gotten out of our price range. And so we turned our sights to the Smoky Mountains, which is about three hours east of Nashville. And you can, obviously, we, were, we wanted to get into the Airbnb thing, but the, the rules and regulations in Nashville are just really, really volatile. So we didn't want to mess with that. Uh, but the Smoky Mountains, people have been renting cabins on an overnight basis since the 70s. There's not really any hotels there. So anybody who goes there, which is 13 million people a year, visit the National Park there, they stay in privately owned cabins on an overnight basis. So we said, okay, this is a really safe place to invest. Kind of, again, we didn't really know what we were doing. Didn't really know what any, we didn't know anybody else doing it either. So we rolled the dice and the first one was really successful. We quickly rolled all of that income into five in that area within a year. And uh, along, along those lines, I think on our second one, I got my real estate license after our third one was able to quit my corporate gig. And then it's just all kind of fallen into place from there. That's awesome. That's a really incredible story. And I think the the big thing, the takeaway out of that is that you sort of backed yourself on terms of like, there's something out there that this is interesting because being in a metro where you're now looking at the Smoky Mountains, probably you would only have that insider knowledge of that, that all these people go to the Smoky Mountains and there's no hotels and that there's a bit of not, I wouldn't say insider trading, but it's like this insider knowledge of like people go there, they like to get out of the city into the woods. And when there's no hotels, where are they going to rent? They're going to have to rent a cabin or something like that. So I think not necessarily rolling the dice, but but backing yourself in terms of something that is seemed to be an opportunity. And I think that's really, really incredible. In and around your day job, how did how did that come about about quitting? Because that would have been such a you know daunting task to leave the day job and go at this full time. Yeah. So I've always been kind of an entrepreneurial person. Uh, I've got my master's degree when we moved here from New York and um, quickly realized after two or three corporate gigs, I'm just not a good employee. I just, I'm not, I can't do it. And so I was trying to think of ways, okay, what can I do? What can I build so that I'm not waiting on one manager to bestow a $10,000 raise and possibly a promotion on me sometime during the next 10 years. And uh, real estate just kind of quickly presented itself as the way to do that for me. Got it. Got it. I think it's super, uh, it's super important to to understand that at a young age and I think go out and risk, not risk at all, but have that sort of young, fearless attitude to go out and take on the world, knowing that it's going to work out, right? If the, the worst thing going to happen is that you go back to a day job, which is, uh, which is pretty freaking awesome. So tell me how you've pivoted now into your business. I mentioned also you, you become a millionaire and that you've got 24 properties. You have uh, your, your business that also helps educate other people about it. So tell me a little bit about that and how that morphed from buying assets into teaching others. Absolutely. So my overall strategy was never to have a big short-term rental empire. Uh, my strategy was more to buy enough short-term rentals in the beginning to where I can quickly scale my long-term rental portfolio. So the rest of the properties in our portfolio are uh, long-term, low-income duplexes and single families. Uh, it's, uh, it is a lot of people's strategy to just have a big short-term empire but i you know it, it's definitely important to keep your portfolio diversified long-term rental real estate is the tried and true method whereas the short terms are a little bit newer not so much in those drivable vacation markets which anyone listening to this wherever they are can think of a place that's near them like i grew up in the southeast in mississippi so if we're going to take a weekend trip to the mountains you're going to the smoky mountains or if you're going to take a week trip to the beach you're going to go down to destin or panama city where i have a few units as well so anyone can kind of come up with these markets 
where, where it's drivable and people rent houses instead of hotels overnight. Uh, and there's actually a lot of data out there about that too now. Uh, so we're, we operate in the Smoky Mountains and Destin, Panama City, and then the Orange Beach and Gulf Shores, Alabama markets. All three of those are tried and true, decades proven short-term rental markets, well before Airbnb, even the internet. Uh, so what I do for my clients to teach them to make a long story very long to get back to answer your question <laughs> uh, is so what we do for our clients is we operate like a regular real estate team buyer's agent type transaction but what we do the the biggest limiting belief and obstacle for most especially new short-term and vacation rental investors is they're like oh i need somebody to manage this for me i can't possibly manage it for myself what we do is i'm i'm not a big fan of property managers the way that technology is in 2020. Uh, we self-manage all of ours and I train my clients on how to do that. We get them set up with all the tools and systems and vendors that they need to be able to manage from wherever they live. Uh, I, I have expat clients that live in China. I have military clients that are deployed in Afghanistan, all of which are running their own short-term rentals from wherever they are. So I train them on how to run that so they don't have to pay a property manager 10, 20, sometimes 40% is the standard in some of these markets for property management when really it's nothing that anyone can't do from their iPhone. Interesting. So to maybe talk a little bit about um, those things and tips and tricks that you try and instill in people to take on the property management by themselves because it can sometimes be daunting. You don't want to have that call of, hey, the plumbing's screwed and you've got to come right. and fix it. <laughs> right. So so, so, what are you doing from the technological piece to help people have peace of mind and, and be abroad or be in our other states and not, not have that sort of dread of, uh, of someone's going to pick up the phone and, and tell me there's an issue with my house? Right, right. So the first thing that I, that I kind of coach people through is that you know, if a toilet breaks in the house that I live in 10 feet from where I'm sitting, I'm not fixing that. I'm not going over and fixing it. I'm making a phone call. So same thing if the property is on the other side of the world from you. So I get my clients set up with a list of vetted, literally every vendor you could possibly ever need. And then from there, you really, we stay so booked on just Airbnb and VRBO that we just use those platforms. But there's a number of other ones that you can add to that list. And uh, there are as Airbnb and just short-term rental investing in general have grown, lots of technology and platforms have been introduced to help people manage those things. So one of them is channel managers. So uh, we use one called IGMS for ours. There's one called Your Porter, which is a pretty affordable. There's another one called Hostfully. And what those do is they help you automate the process. So for example, with ours, if somebody sends us a message and says, hey, we're interested in booking your place, it'll automatically send them a, a template back that says, hey, thank you so much for checking it out. Here's all the info you need to make a decision. Let us know if you have any specific questions. Then once they book, it sends them a thank you. We're so excited to have you. It, it sounds like it's really us. The point is to not make it sound like it's a computer. Uh, and then two days before they check in, it automatically sends them directions, check-in instructions, where the closest grocery store is, You know things like that that you'll need to know while you're there. Same thing one day before checkout, sends and checkout instructions. So that helps immensely. Uh, the other big automation piece that makes your life much easier is uh, an app to sync and to alert your cleaning people to automate that. So when I started, those didn't exist. So we just started using a, a Google Calendar and hooked it up with our 
my particular cleaner, I did have to buy her a small <laughs> laptop and set her up a Gmail account so that she could get to her calendar. But I mean, it was only 200 bucks, so it, it totally worked out. But now there's apps like Turnover BNB. Some of the channel managers will have that functionality to where when someone books, it automatically sends a notification to your cleaner. Your cleaner acknowledges it, so it automatically sends a notification to you that your cleaner knows to go clean, and that automates the whole process. Yeah, I, I think it's super important, particularly in the smaller margin space when you're talking about 40% that some property managers can take to just go out and figuring it out by yourself. I think that's really, really cool and something that people get scared of, but understanding that it's not that big of a leap, right? You, it's just really you're automating it, you're figuring out your systems, and then you're just pressing play and making sure you have the technology you know, pieces, uh, tools and tricks and uh, tricks of the trade in order to make sure your entire team is integrated with the, with the calendar and when people are booking in and booking out. So I think it's super, super cool. Um, back to the market, how have you been able to, you spoke earlier about people coming in and renting for since the 70s. So what do you typically like to look at when you assess a market from maybe a population? Do you look at any tourist data? Do you look at any amenities or, or attractions in the area? What, do you, what sort of granular data do you look at in order to make sure that you are investing in the right type of town rather than a metro? Absolutely. So a lot of the towns that you're gonna that you're gonna think of when you think of these places or i mean i came up with my two that just happened to be the most profitable ones in the country data wise because that's where i went growing up and that's what i saw we didn't go rent hotels we rented houses so um what we look for most of those types of markets are going to be tourism driven markets like there's going to be a national park that people are coming to or the beach and most of the time at least in the ones that i deal with there are very often more short-term rental properties than there are people who live there, which means there's not a ton of jobs, not a ton of industry. Uh, everything runs on tourism. So you can look at the national park data, if it's a national park town, or like the Destin, Panama City area, they have, uh, most of those towns are going to have data that you can get from the Chamber of Commerce or the Department of Tourism showing how much, to, how many tourists come in, uh, what what they make a year off tourism, things like that. So most of these places are going to be so dependent on tourism that they're going to have a lot of data for you to be able to look at. Got it. What do you typically look at from a date? Like for me, looking at an MSA that has less than 500, half a million, yeah, half a million people or more is really important from for my investment thesis on, on multifamily. So what are you looking at from the tourism data to make sure that there's enough I guess, heads and beds coming through the town to make sure that it's going to be profitable for you and there's not too much product on the market that you have to compete with? That's a good question. So luckily, there are lots of data sources or not lots, several data sources now that we can pull from. Uh, AirDNA is a pretty good one. I wouldn't take it as gospel, but it's it's getting better all the time. Uh, there's another company called Key Data that I get a lot of data from that, uh, you know, they're measuring all of the properties that are available for short-term rental over the years you know what was their occupancy rate what was their average price per night how much were they making uh and you can just there's all types of data out there that you can get now to where you don't have to just kind of piece it together yourself i do recommend not using only one data source though just because it's it's good to get the projections from from several places so you want to use or mash is another good one for historical data uh, match visors did you say uh, mash m-a-s-h okay. mash visor air dna key data 
Got it. Awesome. And, and, and so what, what are you looking for when you're looking in those types of specific data sources? What are they giving you? What, what are you signing up for? What, what, what is, someone turns on the computer and starts Googling MASH visors and air DNA. What, <laughs> what do you look for once you start opening, cracking open those sort of things? So you're looking mainly for occupancy rate and price per night because that's going to give you your gross annual income numbers. And then once you have those, you, you can work back because you know what you're uh, what your mortgage is going to be, how much it's going to be per clean. If you don't know how much it's going to be per clean to pay your cleaner, just call up a couple of cleaning companies in the area and say, Hey, what, what does it cost for a four bedroom? And you can kind of figure it out that way. So, but once you get that gross annual income number, then you can work back to decide if the numbers make sense as an investment. And so you talk about occupancy, and I've had a little bit of experience with developing uh, hotels, and and obviously an average daily rate, which they talk about in the in the hotel industry. So, um, what is a good occupancy number that you you know in, in multifamily we like to be above ninety, but I know in the hotel space it's not as high as that. So, what do you like to see in these different markets for, from an occupancy point of view? So, to me, the gross annual income number is more important than the actual occupancy number. So, for example. Uh, the properties in the Smokies and the properties in the Destin market have pretty comparable gross annual income numbers, but their seasonality is wildly different. So in the Smokies, it's a 10 month high season. And uh, so January and February are really the only kind of slow times where, and it's just pretty steady the rest of the year. Whereas the beach markets, at least in the panhandle, it's different in Southern Florida, but in the beach markets, you're at 100% occupancy all of the summer months and then you know you might be 50 in the true winter months and then it like 70 during the the spring and fall so at that point it just becomes that because i have plenty of clients that are like i'd rather have i'd rather have the steady income of the smokies but then i have some that are like well i'd really like to be able to use it with my family some so if they're making roughly the same amount of money then maybe the, the the beach market is better for them because it, it is seasonal. You are going to have some more gaps in your calendar, so you can use it with your family without cutting into your income. So kind of a, a roundabout answer there. <laughs> no, no, it's a good, it's a good answer. And then into, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a numbers guy being an engineer, I love talking about the numbers. So average daily rate and occupancy and all that sort of stuff. What, you know, when we're talking about very high level numbers, like for example, flipping a house, you want to buy it at 65% of ARV and all this sort of stuff. Is there little rules and tricks that you use when you're assessing uh, a particular property in order to make sure that you know you're going to get a good profit on this asset um, in, in the long term? So with short-term investing, it's not as clear-cut and black and white as it is with long-term. Like the rent is the rent. This is what it's going to rent for, and that's how it's going to be. Whereas in short-term, there's little things that change it all the time. So a Wednesday in January is always going to be significantly cheaper than a Saturday in July. Right. Uh, so um, the numbers are a little fuzzy at is what I'll call it compared to, to long-term investing. And I, actually, uh, multifamily investors when they come to me and they've they've got a history of multifamily, they tend to have the hardest time understanding that not there's not this is not going to be a perfect spreadsheet here that everybody's going to hand you on these things. God, come on, I <laughs> so uh, you do have to kind of do some triangulation. But in my markets, what I'm seeing is you should be able to in your first year if you're self managing and if the property comes furnished, which most most of them do. If you don't have that upfront expense, you should be able to net about 35% of that gross annual income after your mortgage and after all the expenses. So 
you kind of just have to look at it as a, okay, well, if my net is 35,000, is that enough for me to, is that enough to make sense to make this down payment? If yes, buy it. If no, don't. Right, right. And that, <laughs> it's not, it's, the, the clear math is not just flow through, like you said, 35%. So it's not, it's going to cost me $100 a night to hold this asset. So I need to rent it at 135 because you have then, you got to factor in your your high markets and your low, your low so high seasons, low seasons, occupancy, vacancy, to then get a number that is an average daily rate, correct? Right, right. And there are some some tools to help with that. There are quite a few pricing tools out there. Uh, Beyond Pricing is one. That's the one that we've used in the past. Uh, Price Labs is another one. Wheelhouse is another one. So there are automation tools that will do that for you. Or what I what we did when we started, because those didn't exist yet, was we just went on Airbnb and VRBO and looked at what all the neighbors were doing and getting uh, of the potential property we were looking at. Uh, we even would go as far as to message some of them. Most of them are like, you know, leave me alone, kid. But every now and then you'll get a, a little glimmer of information out of them. So I recommend doing that. And then uh, those pricing tools will will help you immensely. I don't recommend doing those though, signing up for a pricing tool until you get three to five months of reviews under your belt because it's gonna price you where everybody else is. But when you're brand mm. new, you gotta you have to kind of undercut everybody because you don't have any reviews yet. And that's a good that's a good segue into the review market and how the longer you're in a in a market in the property, the better reviews you get, the the more your average daily rate would probably tick up, right, right. over a period of time. And, and if you're a really super host and all that sort of stuff, um, so I guess my question for you is back to the acquisition side of it. Are you using local brokers to help you find these deals, and then are you putting traditional financing on it, like twenty percent down, and then getting eighty uh, percent leverage on the asset, you know, with four to five percent? interest rates what, what, what's the sort of the financing and structure look like on the on the buy side so financing that's a really good question so the good cool thing about vacation rentals is if you're planning on self-managing and you're not planning on putting any kind of a contract on the property after you close like a lease or a property management contract you can do what's called a 10 percent down vacation home loan it's a conventional fannie freddie backed loan and the interest rates are actually a little bit lower than a traditional investment loan uh, that's a really good way to get started and get your foot in the door. If you're kind of a new investor, you're kind of strapped for cash. Uh, most people do that on their first one just to take advantage. And you can have one second home loan per market. So you can go buy in three or four markets and put the 10% down. But once you buy your second one in a market, you do have to go to 20. I do have a, a local lender who will do 15, but for the most part, 20. Got it. Got it. And what are you doing in terms of sprucing up the property? You mentioned before about uh, buying it with existing furniture. Mm -hmm. I would assume if these things are run down and someone's getting rid of it, they're, they're going to want to. You're going to want to put a little bit of lipstick on it. You know, you know like you want to sweep it out, do the floors, maybe paint the paint the, the ceilings and the and the walls, putting new furniture, maybe resurface the countertops. Like, are you doing any of that sort of cosmetic stuff to make it just to spruce it up in order to get a better feel for it? Uh, and, and from a you know repairs and maintenance and, and deferred maintenance point of view yeah here and there so the cool thing about these is a lot of times they will have been on a rental program previously now that they're being sold and uh so most of the time they're going to be in decent enough shape to where you don't have to do anything unless you just really want to uh, mm. and it's also important to look at the other properties in the market to kind of get an idea of what's expected so for example in my mountain market everything's a cabin so things are a little more dated than 
it's acceptable for things to be a little more dated than like in my Florida market where you want to, you know, you want to have the nice cabinets, the brand new countertops and everything. I actually just did a burr in Destin on, it was my first burr uh, as a vacation rental. And yet we just, you know, we put all the best finishes in there. But uh, for the most part, you're not going to have to do a ton of stuff unless you purposely are looking for a burr. But um, in like in the mountain markets, my highest performer has hideous blue laminate countertops. <laughs> I keep meaning to change them, but it just stays so booked. I haven't been able to do it. And that's like three right. years now I've been talking about changing those countertops. So, um, you know, it's, it's important too with these to not get caught up in over improving. Hmm. You can go into one of these places and spend $30,000 improving just because you want to, but it's important to remember that, it's not for you to live in as long as it's on par with the rest of the market. And it's nice, you know, you don't want it to be crappy by any means, but as long as it's on par with the rest of your competition, then you're going to be okay. You don't have to go in there and make it try to be like your dream home because it's mm. an investment. You know, at the end of the day, it's not any different than my long-term low income investments. So uh, it's important not to get hung up on that. And you bring up a very good point because my mind goes to value add investing, right? It's always value add. What value can I bring to the asset in order to increase my revenue? So if you're not doing a ton of work on your the average short-term rental, what is the value add you're bringing to it then? Like you're just buying, you're just buying the coupon clipping type of you know profit that the, the seller before it would have been getting if they actually you know did their did their um, work properly. That is a really good question, and. Um it's not necessarily the value add isn't necessarily in the actual property, but the management. So the vast mm. majority of these properties are be, being sold not by investors, but just by vacation homeowners who bought it for their family and said, oh, hey, I'm gonna throw it on this local property manager that's been here for 30 years so it can quote pay for itself while I'm not there. The, the phrase pay for itself separates the vacation rental owners or vacation homeowners from true investors, I think. So all of the not all the vast majority of local property managers in these markets have been there for decades and they're very resistant to utilizing the technology that is putting them out of business which is airbnb and vrbo and because of that it's kind of a double-edged sword for them because they're not utilizing those and that's how people rent in 2020 they're going on those platforms they're not searching gatlinburg kevin rental company and scrolling through yeah. So because of that, their numbers are significantly lower than uh, what they, what the property will do if you manage it yourself and just so utilizing those platforms. So you are, and back to that acquisition strategy, you're looking for someone who is a, let's call it mom and pop type of owner uh, in order to, to, to take over. And, and are you take, getting those leads through the local brokers or are you doing your own sort of outsource uh, marketing to get to attract leads? So... I became the local broker, <laughs> but when I, uh, when I first started- well, That's good. That, that's, I think that's, a, let's, let's not skip over that. You <laughs> saw an opportunity in a market to become the local broker. And if you're getting all the freaking leads, uh, who's going to be buying the best ones? You are. Well, I'm not, luckily for my clients, I am not made of money, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I did notice that before I had my license, when we were using agents, nobody can answer these questions about, you know, numbers. What do I do if this happens? Just, you know, any, any 
hypothetical question you could have about a short-term rental. So that's why I started the short-term shop and I have my team in the Smokies, my team in Florida, my team in Alabama, all of us are investors. Every agent on my team is an investor. And, um, they, so that way clients have somebody to bounce ideas off of and not just a, a broker who says, Oh yeah, this is great. Here, put it on uncle Ricky's cabins and be done with it. Right. Right. So no, that's, that's super interesting. And I think it's, Look, everyone I interview on this on this show is looking at different ideas, and I think bringing it brings an additional revenue stream for you if you are that key person of influence in that in, in that market about attracting the different leads. So I think for your business, it helps um, recession proof your business because you have a couple of different in- income streams, not just reliant upon owning um, vacation rentals. So I think super important and and, and really. I want to just congratulate you on that because I think I don't want to don't want to skip over that because you saw an opportunity and you took it with both hands and I think it's really really important. Um, now let's segue into the the COVID nineteen. Okay. <laughs> so we are sitting here at April third. This this podcast will probably come out you know probably mid May even early June. How are you going? Tell let's probably let's let's get an update on on how things are going. What are you seeing? Obviously, people are in their homes, so they're stuck and they can't go travel. And and tourism is typically in a, in a quote unquote recession is the first thing one of the first things to get hit. So what's happening? How, give us an update. Okay, awesome. So first, I will give you some anecdotal stuff uh, based on just what I'm seeing with my properties, but I do yep. have some very nice data in front of me for Ooh, a, a blog post. Love it, later love it, love it. Yeah, yeah. So for us, uh, so we've got five that are in the Smokies and they're mm-hmm. all about two bedrooms. And of course, initially when COVID started becoming very serious, we started to realize this is going to affect us. Uh, we did have an initial wave of cancellations, obviously. And we're like, all right, well, uh, cue the, the cash reserves then. But uh, uh, about a week later, we started getting bookings trickling in of people who live in big metro areas that are drivable, so like Atlanta, Nashville, Charlotte, saying that live in small apartments. And they're like, well, we have to social distance anyway. Can hmm. we just social distance in your place? And we're like, oh, yes, you can. So we started tweaking all of our listings to be more uh, attractive to that kind of renter. So we took off our minimum and maximum night stays. We put a list of all the places that deliver to the location right up front so that people could say, okay, yes, I can go. They've got good Wi-Fi. I can do my work from home and I can get delivery. I, I can meet all my needs, but not have to be in my small apartment in Atlanta kind of thing. Mm. Um, so we're not, we're certainly not hundred percent booked because of that, but we're what, running- what I guess, I guess what percentage are you booked right now of, of that? We're what is it April third? So we're about two and a half, three weeks into this sort of thing. So so it it dropped off a cliff. If you come back thirty percent, forty percent, you know, rough rough ballpark. So I have one property that's like sixty five percent booked. That's my oldest one that has the most, or not oldest, but the one that I've owned the longest with the most reviews. The rest of them are sitting about twenty five thirty, which covers covers the bills. Uh, and then my Florida one, we actually got a month long booking for 6,000 bucks. That one's big. It's, it's four bedrooms and it's got a pool. The beaches are closed, but it's definitely a big enough place for a family to go and hang out for, for a month. So might be my business partner. He's right down there in, in that, in, in that part of the world. And he's, he, he extended his stay. Um, but that's, that's super interesting. So you're, you're, you're not seeing a complete dry up, but I'm sure you're sweating a little bit oh, about yeah, the mortgage sure. payments. So how are you, I guess, let's get into the data side of it. Like, what are you seeing? What are you trying to do? Are you talking with your lenders to say, hey, this is going to affect me big time? Um, are you trying to apply for small business loans? Like what, what's happening right now in your biz? So I have set myself up 
to where I am good to float for almost indefinitely, a couple years probably. So I haven't done the small business loan stuff uh, or the mortgage relief because we, we did look into the mortgage relief, obviously, because we've got so many properties. I'm actually more worried about all my long terms paying rent over the next few days than I am the short terms. But um, it, if I have to pay the whole thing back, in three months, it doesn't really help me that much. I might as well just keep paying it incrementally. So uh, we have not utilized any of that stuff, but we, as of now, we're covering the expenses on the short terms, not necessarily making money, but we've got, you know, when you have a short term, you can get a booking here and a booking there and anything's better than nothing. Whereas the long terms are, it's all or nothing. <laughs> right, so, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're definitely sweating it. We, I would love for this to be over in April, but uh, we're we're making it through. Yeah, well, it's it, look. I, I I wish you the best of luck because it is it is a stressful time. We're all I own nineteen hundred units in uh, Austin and San Antonio, and uh, I've got calls today about where, where my percentage of rent collections are for the month. So it's all it's all happening right now. But I think the biggest thing that I would love to get your your opinion on is what do you see for the short, medium, and long term? Like uh, you know, in terms of recovery here particularly when it comes to vacation rentals. Okay. So short term, just more of what's going on right now, you know, keep adjusting your rates and working with, with buyers, working with uh, guests to, you know, get, get asses in the seats for lack of a better word. Um, <laughs> so, Heads uh, in bed, my friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just to get people in the door and, you know, it's going to be tough for a little bit in the short term. Uh, the medium term, I think uh, for investors who do have, cash reserves in place now is a good opportunity to buy uh just because what you know in, in my sales business we're, we're we've got contracts dropping like flies because people are like not sure what's going to happen with their income so they're, they're not buying investments right now um i think for the more seasoned investors who do have the ability to do that now is a good time to buy because sellers on the flip side of that are concerned they're not going to be able to have their you know they're not when the next buyer is going to come along how long is this going to last so they're willing to be more negotiable prices aren't dropping significantly yet in any of the markets but the sellers are a little more fear, fearful so they're more negotiable than they were a month ago um, long term or i would say i i hope that this is over in june july i think when this is over whenever that may be that people are going to be so just bouncing off the walls ready to get out of the house that once they've been back to work for a couple of weeks we're going to see a boom in the vacation rentals and that we're going to see some of the highest prices per night that we maybe have ever seen because people have just been so cooped up so i think it's it's going to take a quick sharp turn back up once we do get to the end of this but uh we're just you know gotta keep trucking until yep. then Yep. Yep. Well, look, I wish you all the best of luck because it is uncertain times. And as of this recording, as I said, April 3rd, um, we're all, we're, we're right in the thick of it. We've still got, I think, another three or four weeks of supposed lockdown. Um, but look, I, I, I do wish you all the best and, and keep, keep, keep trucking along. I think, I think you're right. I think there will be some sort of immediate party in the street, <laughs> so to speak, when, when people do get let out. Um, my, my big concern, I guess, for, for, for your point of view is the long-term fear of like, 
when people have been listening to so much media that they're like they're fearful of getting on planes or fearful of going on holidays or fearful of being around other people it's like you know we're we've got over it like good to get back to normal right and that's right. the kind of thing that in in your business you know being in the in the vacation space the tourism space hopefully that pops back really quickly i know personally i was supposed to be in mexico city last weekend i'm supposed to be going to costa rica uh, in may i'm supposed to be going to bali in july like all these trips are starting to get postponed and i'm <laughs> I, I, i'm kind of like i want to get back to it man like i'm seeing these cheap flights to Colombia. I'm going, I'm going, let's go. So um, I, I know from a personal point of view, and I hope everyone listening, uh, if you can get back and support the tourism industry, everything from flying to hotels to Airbnbs, because it's really super important um, for people like yourself, right, Avery, to, right. to get back into uh, making money. So, right. um, but at the end of every show, we are coming to the end of every, every show, we like to do the lightning round, the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yes. Right, so uh, tell me how you. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, tell me how you make the first ever dollar. Uh, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? So uh, running, <laughs> definitely. You like to run? I like to yep. run. I'm a marathon runner. Right now, you can't see because you can only see me from the chest up. But I am uh, pregnant, so not as much oh, running or walking. Congratulations! <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a scary time to be pregnant, but it's, uh, we're undue <laughs> end of the summer. So hopefully it'll be done by then. But so we're walking now, but it just not only a, is it good exercise, but B allows me to kind of organize my thoughts without, you know, I don't have mm. my phone with me. There's not my email's not dinging. I just have X amount of miles to think about what the rest of the day is going to look. How, how many marathons you run? I've done three and wow, I've done one awesome. uh, ultra, which was a 50 miler. I will never do Whoa. that again. I don't recommend. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> that is nuts. That is nuts. I do. For, I'm a bit of a runner myself, um, but I do know that running is nearly, it's meditative. Like it's, it's therapeutic because you're, you're, you're concentrating on your breath. I know for me, like when, particularly when you're getting to that 10, 12 mile mark and you've got to like, just all you can focus on is breathing. Okay, I'm going to count to th- I'm count 30 breaths right now and hopefully I'll be a little bit further along the way, <laughs> right, at, least, right. at least at least personally. And, and that helps me, as you say, clear the mind. Exercise is super important. And, and running, I, I think more so than other exercises really helps you, it's nearly meditative. So I think it's, it's super awesome. Um, who's been the biggest, the second question, who's been the biggest influence in your career today? Like m- m- most influential? from a person point of view? I'm going to have to say my husband, uh, because Mm -hmm. I always just kind of thought, you know, entrepreneur stuff, that sounds so fun, but you know, that's for other people. That's for those people over there. And, uh, when I met my husband, he has been successful at everything he's ever tried to do at every business, whether, I mean, whether it was silly or not, uh, he owned a bar in New York city by the time he was 25. Then he wrote a book about drinking and losing weight at the same time. Got it published by a major <laughs> publisher. And uh, now he's a DJ on Sirius XM because he used to throw really cool parties at that bar. And what? And, That's awesome. Yeah. And that segued into, into being a classic rock DJ. And, and now he's super successful. He manages all of our all of our long terms and all of our short terms. And uh, he's, he's really good at that too. So once I saw, okay, He's just going out and doing things. I can go out and do things. So he's been really That's inspirational cool. and, and influential that way. That is awesome. And, and and I think it's important to have a partner who you can either look up to or supports you in your mission uh, to do, you know, entrepreneurship. But I think it's that's really super cool that uh, you're inspired by him. So um, so well done, yeah. um, boyfriend, husband, husband <laughs> whatever. Yes. And he's very husband, tall husband. and handsome, so it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> Even better. We're giving, giving, giving all the props today. What's his name? We've got to get his name now. We can't be going all this way without Oh, yeah, yeah. His, his name's name. Luke, Luke Carl. 
Luke, well, Luke, Kyle, awesome stuff, brother. Um, question number three. In your business, we spoke about some some t- cool tools before, but what is the number one tool in your business? Now, when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a phone or a person, but I'm sure you probably would have a technological tool that you use on a daily basis to help you keep the business on track. What is it? This is so small, it's going to sound silly, but Calendly <laughs> is. Ah, yes. Yeah, because yes, it keeps yes. me on track and it's so uh integratable with everything mm. else i have like crms uh it's if you i don't know if you're a big zapier yes. zapier user but it's no i'm not oh so it that website will integrate any two pieces of technology almost that don't already integrate with each other so i can make the calendly hook up to everything else that i use for what whatever possibility i need to use it for so just as if it's on my calendar then it's like it's not slipping through the it, cracks because of Calendly. It, it, it exists, right? <laughs> and you said, what, what was that? What was that? Um, Zapier? Yeah. It was the one that could... Z-A-P-P-I-E-R? Just one P. One P, got yeah. it. Okay. And that, that will combine like um, Calendly with Trello or mm-hmm. something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Okay. I didn't even know that because I, I do use Calendly. Uh, I use uh, Slack. I use Zoom. I use all those sort of cool technologies, but to try and combine it all is super, super important. Oh, yeah. Um, in one sentence, question number four, in one sentence, what has been your biggest failure and what did you learn from that failure? My first hire <laughs> was my biggest failure. Um, I, you know, I did, I thought I had the right paperwork in place. I, uh, I just did not make good decisions about that. I gave too much trust pretty much. Mm-hmm. And um, I lost a lot of sleep over that, but um, that, that person is still trying to steal from me today. But uh, you know, there was really no better learning experience than having had that happen. So. Uh, what did you learn? What was, so you said you said contracts, it must've been contract related that, that, ha- that something happened? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I just had like a regular team real estate team thing in place. I contract in place. I didn't have like an NDA and all those other good things. So I learned the hard way about the NDAs. Um, but you know, now I know exactly what I'm looking for and exactly what I'm not looking for. Whereas I was like, Oh, you know, she's pretty nice. And she, you know, uh, the whole learning experience thing. So that was definitely my biggest learning experience was hiring the wrong people first. I, I, this sort of, I'm, I'm going a little bit off topic. Do you now use some of those, um, uh, tests online that you can de- determine what the type of person they are to de- depend just to fit them in their role that they, you want them to fit in because sometimes you have you can employ people who want to be like you right and sometimes that's not good <laughs> uh, you want someone to be a follower not necessarily a leader so do you use any of those tools now to help you in the screening process yeah the disc assessment is pretty yes it's pretty awesome yeah. in real estate so Disc, yeah. disc assessment. Okay, cool stuff. And Avery, last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. They want to find out a little bit more about what you do, where they go. The shorttermshop.com. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for jumping on today's show. I want to just reflect some of the cool things that I've taken, taken away from today's show. I think your overall strategy of investing in short-term rentals for then the purpose of buying long-term rentals, I think is really, really important. Having that bigger and better goal. I also applaud you for seeing an opportunity as being the broker in your particular market because there was the market reacted to you and there was no one that could give you decent information. So you went out and did it. And now you're the sort of the key person of influence in that market for all 
more de- leads and deals, which helps bring another revenue stream in, but also helps you maybe cherry pick some of the good deals. So I think that's super, super important. And the, and the last thing, obviously, the inspiration of, of your husband um, being really close with him and, and having an inspiration there on a daily basis, I think is really, um, really important as well from anyone trying to be an entrepreneur. So uh, did I leave anything out? I don't think so. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking some time. Good luck with the pregnancy. Thank you. Stay safe, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll catch up very, very soon. Hey, you too. Thanks so much. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Avery. Please definitely go and check her out at her website and all the links from today's show will be up on my website as well as as regoosens.com. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave. Remember, go give life a crack.